The scripture before the lesson will be Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. That's page 1003 in the Red Pew Bibles. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Temptation is a part of the human experience because we live in a world that is sin sick, a world that is full of evil and all kinds of, of opportunities to do evil. Because we live in that kind of world, sin is a part and temptation is a part of the human experience. The passage that was just read, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 is really important to keep in mind. Because Hebrews 4.15 is talking about Jesus. And it says that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in all points like we are, yet he was without sin. Even Jesus faced temptation. The opportunity to do evil was present in the life of Jesus. He could have chosen to do evil had he desired to do so. Jesus faced temptation. You and I face temptation because it's part of the human experience, it's part of our experience too. An evil thought, a malicious heart, a bad attitude, a desire to do something that we know is wrong, we know is wicked, but I really want to do it. You and I face temptation. And in the times when we understand and appreciate that we're going to face temptation, the very best thing that we can do is turn our eyes to Jesus Christ. That's what we just sang. I appreciate Tom for leading that song, yield not to temptation. And the refrain keeps happening over and over in that song, look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. You and I, when we face temptation, need to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we need to examine how he handled temptation. I want you to open your Bibles briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. As we think about this subject of temptation and needing to look to Jesus, we need to think about Jesus and his experience in this light. In 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 12, the apostle writes, 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you and I have a self-righteous, stuck-up kind of attitude, I'm doing fine and nothing is tempting me, we need to be extremely careful because there but for the grace of God go I. Let him who thinks he stands watch out, take heed lest he fall. He says then in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. What he means by that, brothers and sisters, is that when you are tempted, there is nothing that is overwhelmingly unique about your temptation. The kind of temptation that you face is common to all people. It's the same kind of temptation that Jesus faced as well, Hebrews 4.15. It's common to man. 
And then he goes on to say, but God is faithful. That means God always shows up. That's what faithfulness is. It's showing up. It's being there. It's being present and true to your word. That's what faithfulness is. God always shows up in this respect. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able Now, that doesn't mean that we won't face, at times, crushing burdens. That doesn't mean we won't be overwhelmed by grief and sorrow and sometimes despair and discouragement in our lives. It doesn't mean that that everything is going to be rosy in our lives. What it does mean that you won't be tempted beyond what you're able, what it does mean is, he explains, that God with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 tells you don't be proud and arrogant and think that you're not gonna be tempted. And verse 13 tells you that in every temptation that you experience, God is faithful. He always shows up and he provides a way of escape. Said another way, every temptation you face is an opportunity to do evil. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to do evil. But on the other hand, every temptation you face is an opportunity to do good as well. It's an opportunity to do good. It's like a stepping stone to Christian maturity because every time you choose the way of escape, every time you choose to do what is right in the face of temptation, you grow a little bit. You mature a little bit. You become more like Jesus in very powerful and tangible ways. Yield not to temptation, look to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Now open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 4 and look at verses 1 through 11 with me. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, you can just leave your Bible open to that section for the rest of this lesson. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Temptation is part of the human experience and therefore it is part of the experience of Jesus Christ because he took on flesh, he came to this world to experience what you and I experience. To understand the way that we see the world, to understand why things are difficult for us. Jesus came so that he could have the same experiences you and I have. And the only way in which Jesus was distinct as far as temptation is concerned from us is the fact that he never yielded to it, but he experienced it. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Let's read together these 11 verses, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1, and let's make some observations as we look to Jesus and as we think about what temptation is in our lives. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, this is the beginning of his ministry, by the way. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. 
He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Look to Jesus when you're tempted. How did Jesus handle temptation? I want you to consider his example first this morning. How did Jesus handle temptation? May I make some observations that really ought to be obvious, but still are extremely practical in how we think about temptation. Jesus wanted to please God. One of the reasons he successfully navigated a tempting situation is because Jesus at his core, in his heart of hearts, wanted to please God. John chapter eight, verse 29, he said, I always do the things that please God. Always. It was part of his identity, it's who he is. On another occasion in John four, verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In John chapter six, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven in order to do the will of God. John chapter six, verse 36. Jesus was interested in doing what is right. May I ask you a question? Are you interested in doing what is right? Are you interested? I mean, is it really something that you're into? The idea that I want to please God with my life. I want to serve God. I want to honor and glorify God with my life. Is that who you are? If it's not, we're going to struggle when it comes to tempting situations. Jesus overcame because this is what he wanted to do. A lot of people don't, not interested. I like what I'm doing too much. Jesus wanted to please God. Jesus went where God desired. Did you notice in Matthew 4 verse 1, the Bible says that the Spirit is the one who was responsible for Jesus being in the wilderness in the first place. Jesus was doing what God desired him to do. And there's some instructive things to consider here. In the first place, it's instructive to consider that because temptation is part of the human experience is what you and I encounter, this is something that it was God's will that Jesus should encounter as well. It's also instructive that when we desire to serve the Lord, that will not exempt us from temptation. Think about it. You want to do what's right? Sometimes our strategy is to build a little bubble around ourselves so that we'll never be tempted. That's impractical because the devil can find his way inside your bubble. I know a preacher who wrote a sermon, a bulletin article series called When the Devil Comes to Church 
He talked about how when we come in the church building, we talk about how, you know, we ought to be spiritually minded and we ought to think about heavenly things, but the devil's sitting right there in the pews and he's tempting people in the pews, even this morning. Jesus went where God desired, but that didn't exempt him from temptation. It's also worthy of our consideration, brothers and sisters and friends, we sometimes face temptation because we go where we know we shouldn't. Isn't that true? Because we go to places that we know we shouldn't be and we're with influences that we know we shouldn't allow to influence us. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. We are around people that we know are not good for us, spiritually speaking. In our Bible classes, our kids sing, be careful little feet where you go. You're gonna find temptation wherever you go, but some of us seek it out. Jesus didn't. Jesus went where God wanted Jesus loved the word of God, third. As you think about Jesus and his example in overcoming temptation, I want you to look at what the devil does on three occasions. He presents a temptation to Jesus and every single time Jesus quotes a verse. Did you notice that in Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11? Every single time he is tempted, Jesus quotes a verse. Verses of the Bible are like bullets They are like ammunition that you can use to fire at temptation. That's what I learned from Jesus in this passage. He thought about the Bible. He thought about God's will. And when he was presented with an opportunity to sin, Jesus turned to the Bible. He turned to God's will. Interestingly enough, a couple of these temptations have to do with miracles, Change the stones into bread. Throw yourself off the temple and God will miraculously save you. He'll miraculously bear you up. The devil tempts him in those ways. And instead of performing miracles, which Jesus could have done, Jesus quotes the Bible. The Bible is more powerful than miracles. It's God's power unto salvation. Romans chapter one, verse 16. To everyone who believes, the word is powerful. And that's why you and I need to say what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Taking God's word and putting it in our hearts so that in times of struggle and temptation, we can come back to God's word. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's important for you and, I, you and I, just as Jesus was, it's important for us to be in the book and to think about God's word and his will and what he intends for our lives. He loved the word of God. Job 23, verse 12, Job said, I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. I appreciate that, that sentiment. I need God's word more than anything else. How did Jesus manage? How did he deal with the temptation that he faced? I would submit to you this morning that Jesus was paying attention. The Bible says in Matthew chapter four, verse two, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You would assume, you would think that During this time of fasting, Jesus had also given himself to prayer. He had also given himself to meditation and study of the scripture, knowing what God said. Prayer, fasting, meditation, those kinds of things, those kinds of activities have a way of attuning our senses 
Try and see if I'm telling you the truth. When you wake up in the morning before you eat breakfast, spend five minutes in the Word of God. Spend five minutes in prayer and meditation on what God has said to you and see if it doesn't change the way you see everything else that happens in your day. It has an impact on our hearts and on our minds. And Jesus dealt with temptation successfully because he was paying attention. He knew that he was in a war. He knew that he was going to face these difficulties. And when the difficulties inevitably came, Jesus was ready. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, the apostle reminds us that we do not war against flesh and blood but against the principalities and powers and rulers of this age, the, the rulers of darkness, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do have a war to fight. And often we, may, we, we make terrible mistakes and terrible decisions when we're tempted because we're not thinking about the fact that today I might be tempted. Jesus is our great example. As you look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, notice the tactics of the devil. Notice what he does. The Bible tells us we are not to be ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. But notice that in this case, and I appreciate the fact that Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Luke chapter 4, by the way, a parallel account. I appreciate that this passage is in Scripture because nobody else was there with Jesus in the wilderness. And if passages like this weren't in the Bible, you might be left to wonder, I wonder what Jesus did out there for those 40 days and 40 nights. I wonder what was going through his mind. I wonder what challenges he faced. We don't have to wonder about those things because scripture tells us, and it tells us that the devil came after him. He saw an opportunity, he saw an object, and he did the very best that he could to come after Jesus Christ. It's mind-blowing to think about, but the Bible indicates that it must be a possibility. Because the temptation of Jesus was a reality, there was a possibility that Jesus could have chosen to give in. If he had done so, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know that anybody can have the answer to that question. If he had done so, but I know this, the fact that he was sinless, the fact that he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15, means that we can trust him because he can save us. He was a pure and a sinless sacrifice on our behalf. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, and he left us an example. When he was attacked, he overcame. The devil intentionally attacks people. The devil knows and uses scripture the first temptation is change these stones into bread. I know you're hungry, Jesus. I know that you'd like to have something to eat. You've got miraculous power. Change these stones into bread. And Jesus says it is written. And so the next temptation, aha, uh -huh, you love the scripture. Let me use some scripture. It's interesting to think about the fact that the devil, who has no love for God and he has no love for you either, that the devil knows the Bible backwards and forwards. Did you know that every false doctrine contains an element of truth? Do you know that's true? Every false teaching, every false doctrine that has ever been, has ever been put forth in the world 
contains at least just a little bit of truth. That's what makes it appealing. Because you can open to a Bible verse and you can say, well, see, this Bible verse says X and therefore what I'm teaching you must be true. That's what the devil's doing here. He's opening up to Psalm 91 in Jesus' mind and he's saying, don't you remember what the psalmist wrote? It's God's word. Cast yourself down from the temple and the angels will bear you up. But you would be putting the Lord to the test. The devil knows and uses scripture. We shouldn't be surprised when people who represent evil interests when people who represent wickedness, when people who want to twist and distort the scriptures, when they use a lot of scripture, 2 Peter 3.16, they rest, they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. And yet, that's a tactic that the devil uses. He appeals to our sense of rights. I put rights in quotations. We're all about rights getting what's due to me, getting what I deserve, taking advantage of that which belongs to me by right, by privilege. This is what I have and this was what belongs to me. And when you look at what the devil does to Jesus, it's fascinating that the first two temptations begin with, if you are the son of God. I mean, think about that. He is the son of God. And he understands and appreciates what he's about to go through so that he can save sinful humanity. But both temptations, the first two begin, if you are the son of God, change these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down off the temple because it's owed to you. You're the son of God. Why not use your power in a way that God never intended? You're the son of God. Why not put God to the test and prove to everybody maybe that you really are the son of God? If you are the son of God, why not just bow down and worship me? You can have the glory without the suffering. One of the things the devil does in all of our lives is he appeals to our sense of rights. What's mine? I don't want to lose what's mine. My sense of who I am and what I'm owed, what the world owes me. The devil does that in temptation. We also learn that the devil is an opportunist. He never misses an opportunity. As a matter of fact, at the conclusion of Luke's account of these temptations, Luke says in Luke 4 verse 13, the devil departed from Jesus until a more opportune season. So just because I dealt with temptation today and just because I found that way of escape and I've grown a little bit in my relationship, it doesn't mean there won't be another battle to fight tomorrow or in five minutes Temptation, the opportunity to do evil, those opportunities are going to continue to manifest themselves over and over and over in our lives because the devil's an opportunist. I think it would be good for you as a Bible student to remember that Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, these are not the temptations of Jesus. Sometimes that's the way we describe it. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it's the temptations of Jesus. Now, they are some of the temptations of Jesus. But you consider what Jesus endured, even at the cross. 
as he's hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and his enemies are mocking him and saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. That was every bit as much a temptation to do evil as what the devil did in Luke chapter four, verses one through, 11, one through 13, or Matthew four. The devil's an opportunist. He won't leave us alone. Consider this third, the temptations themselves. You wanna be successful in overcoming temptation? You wanna look to Jesus and to think about what he endured? I want you to consider these three temptations in their turn. You could do an entire lesson on each one of these three points, but consider in the first place, the devil comes to Jesus who is hungry, physically hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil presents a temptation. He says, change these stones into bread. Jesus had to just say the word and it would have happened. True, he has miraculous power. So what's the temptation here? To use his blessings inappropriately. That miraculous power, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. That miraculous power was there to teach people. That miraculous power was there to convince people that he is the son of God. It was not there for him to use for his selfish, self-centered purposes. That power was not there for that purpose. It was not there so that he could fill his belly, merely that. But that's what he would have been doing if he'd given in to the devil's temptation. Use a blessing in an inappropriate way. And I want you to think about this. Many of our temptations involve things that are inherently good in and of themselves. They are blessings in and of themselves, but they are temptations to take those to an extreme, a sinful place. To take something that God created, that God says is good, that God says is a blessing, and to use it as an idol, or to use it in a way that is inappropriate or sinful, to do that is roughly equivalent to what Jesus was tempted to do in Matthew chapter four, verses three and four. Taking good things to an extreme. Another thought, as you think about the temptations themselves, look at the second one. The devil takes Jesus up on the high point of the temple and he says, just throw yourself down. Quotes from Psalm 91, the angels will bear you up. They won't let you dash your foot against a stone. God's made a promise to you, Jesus. He's made a promise that he won't allow you to die because God needs you. He needs you to be the savior of the world. He needs you to be the sinless sacrifice. And so if he needs you so badly, go ahead, put him to the test. See if he really will keep his word. That's the temptation. Will God really do what he says? Not sure he will, so I throw myself off the temple. The temptation is to question the truthfulness or better yet, the trustworthiness of God's word. Can you really trust that God will do what he says? And the response that Jesus gives is telling. Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, which is quoting from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, to be specific, verses one through seven. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know what Jesus was referring to there? The Israelites came out of Egypt. Brief story. 
Israelites came out of Egypt. God delivered them by means of 10 plagues, miracles. They traveled through the Red Sea, a miracle. In Exodus 16, they began to receive manna every day, a miracle every single day. They woke up. There's manna on the ground, food for us to eat. And in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, you know what they did? They said, we have no water. God's led us out here and he's going to desert us. Is God among us or not? They should have trusted that the one who delivered them and the one who had saved them and the one who was feeding them was also going to give them everything they needed in order to be successful in his service. They should have trusted all that, but instead they complained and they murmured and they said, we don't believe God's really gonna help us. We don't believe that God's really there for us. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Put him to the test. When we have a discontented, complaining attitude, especially about things that God has promised to provide, we're doing what Jesus resisted. Throw yourself down off the temple. See if he'll really help you. Think about the temptations. In verses 8 through 11 of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is taken up on a high mountain. He is able to see all the kingdoms of the world. And those kingdoms are rightfully his. He created the world and everything that's in it. Colossians 1.16. Jesus is the author of of this world. He's the one that made this world. John 1 verses 1 through 3. Those kingdoms are rightfully his. And what the devil is doing is he's alluding to the fact that Jesus is going to have to go through suffering in order to in order to save these people, to have the glory, the praise of the kingdoms of the world. It's always been a pattern with God. Suffering comes first and then glory. First suffering, then glory. And it was that pattern that you see evidenced in the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Peter alludes to this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he talks about in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, how the prophets of the Old Testament, they prophesied about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. And so Jesus is on a path in his life where he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die in order to receive the glory that is due him. And the devil's kind of saying, if you'll just compromise, if you'll just change one little thing, I can give you the glory without the suffering. I can give you the benefits without the cost. I can give you all the things that you rightfully deserve. There's that idea of deserving things again. He deserves the praise of this world. I can give you all those things and you don't have to suffer for it. But this was a first commandment kind of thing. Remember the first commandment, first of the 10 commandments? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Matthew chapter four, verse 10. And what Jesus means by that is, I can't have any idols, not even the glory and the praise of the nations. That can't be my idol either because I am a servant of the most high God. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to please him. And I'm going to follow the path that he has set for me, suffering and then glory. 
Jesus calls you and me to the same kind of life. Did you know that? A life of suffering and then glory later. He said, whoever would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's calling you to a life of suffering and then glory later. And oftentimes we want to compromise for a cheap, off-brand sense of glory. Things that we think are blessings, things that we think are good, that we achieve by compromising the will and the word and the worship of God. Things that we think are worthwhile, but we're compromising and we're giving up on things that are precious. It's a temptation that Jesus faced. How did Jesus deal with temptation? He kept his eyes on his God. He kept his heart in God's word. And he is our pioneer, brothers and sisters and friends. He blazed a path. He blazed a trail for you and me so that when we face temptation, we can realize that what God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is true, that in every temptation, there is something that is common to men about it. And that in every temptation, God is faithful because not only do we have a temptation that we are able to bear, but God is able to provide a way of escape if we'll look for it. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Maybe you need to come to Jesus Christ because you realize that the stain of sin has marred your life and you want more than anything to be made right with him. The blood of Jesus was shed so that you can have cleansing. He is a sinless sacrifice and you can come to him this morning by putting your faith and your trust in what he did for you at the cross. By repenting of your sin. You know what repentance is in one sense? It's choosing to say, I wanna do what's right. I wanna be about God's will from now on. Repent of my sin. I want righteousness and holiness and truth. I want those things to characterize me from now on. I always want to do God's will. Repent. Confess the name of Jesus and be baptized. If you'd like to do that this morning, or if you have a need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayer, whatever your need is, won't you make your way forward while together we stand and while we sing?